You are listening to Thulos, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Thulos explores servant leadership as an Orthodox Christian. I'm Holly Benton, your host and executive director of the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. My guest today is Father Robert Hollett, a priest of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the USA who has served in leadership of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church Metropolia as a parish priest in Pennsylvania and as founding pastor of St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Father Robert completed studies at Penn State University, Byzantine Catholic Seminary, and the Antiochian House of Studies, leading to a doctorate of ministry from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in conjunction with the Antiochian House of Studies. Building on his study of Orthodox stewardship, he published The First and Finest, Orthodox Christian Stewardship as Sacred Offering. He has also offered programs in the OCA, Antiochian, and other Orthodox jurisdictions, After retiring from parish ministry, Father Robert remains active in Orthodox stewardship, leadership, and charitable endeavors. He currently resides with his wife, Christine, in Central Virginia. Welcome, Father Robert. So glad to have you with this conversation today on the podcast. Thank you, Holly. It's always great to speak with you and to, again, have an opportunity to participate in the good work that uh, OCLI is doing. And now this new uh, podcast format, this is a wonderful opportunity. I pray it's uh, going to be successful. So thank you. Thank you. You know, you were really a significant contributor of Dulos, the intensive program in servant leadership, focusing on development of one of our program modules, Inspiring Generosity and Stewards, where you generously shared your working model of the stewardship cycle. Could you briefly tell our listeners the steps in that stewardship cycle? The stewardship cycle is just a way of trying to conceive and understand how we work with God as his servants in this spirit. It's a very basic uh, series of steps, and I think if we can visualize each of those steps, it helps us to really understand how we can become better stewards. The first step being, of course, that everything begins and ends with God. God is the, the source of everything, and there's no stewardship of anything without the Lord. The second step is a really important one, and I'll talk a little bit about this a little bit later, but it's the idea of receiving God's gifts. God gives us an abundance of his gifts, and we can't steward anything until we've received that gift first. But then the third movement also is exceedingly important, where the first thing that we do when we receive the gift is identify it as coming from God and return thanks back to him. And then if we do that correctly, then this puts us in the right alignment as his servants, as his stewards, so that we can do with those gifts what he would intend us to do and the purpose for which uh, he bestowed the gift upon us. So we offer the first fruits, the first movement goes back to God. And the fourth movement is really sort of after we've made that first movement, uh, offering this back directly to God in some tangible way, then what else do we do? How else do we carry out the work of our lives and the work of service uh, and Christian servanthood? And this in particular can be manifest in the church as ministry. How do we serve? How do we carry out uh, offering of our lives to God in, in the second uh, step? The next step is really what happens once we begin to do that, once we begin to serve us, God then begins to pour out an abundance of gracious gifts upon us and, and a multitude. And the Lord Jesus put it in these terms, 30, 60, 100 fold. And the steward then learns how to deal with that greater abundance. And this leads to the sixth step, which is really a maturing of the steward. Hopefully, we mature as we grow, as we have experiences of grace, as, as we fail sometimes. 
we draw deeper, we depend more and more on the Lord. And this actually leads to an interior process that leads us closer to God. The seventh step is really sort of when the stewardship game is over. And the scriptures speak about this very distinctly. And that is when the steward and the servant will be called to give an account before the master. And that manifests itself, of course, in the last judgment. But it actually manifests itself in many different ways in our daily lives as well. And this idea of the accountability can be very helpful for us as we look back and say, how well have we done or how well have we not done? Realizing that we will have to ultimately give an account. And the last movement of the stewardship cycle is really its fulfillment, leading to us to communion with God. Well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord says to those who have been faithful, who have been good stewards, that communion with God is where all of this leads. So it's a very spiritual process, but it has very practical steps that we can isolate and identify as we go through it. So that's kind of an outline of the cycle uh, in its various steps and stages. Wonderful. And I understand that we'll be focusing on offering the first fruits or step three after acknowledging God as the source of all things, receiving, being ready to receive what he provides, and then offering back the first fruits. So except for the Feast of the Transfiguration, where many parishes today honor the practice of bringing grapes to the church for a blessing, how do you explain the concept of offering the first fruits today when we really no longer function as agrarian societies where seasons of harvest and gathering as community in celebration of the Eucharist were much more intricately connected? In mentioning the Eucharist, you've centered on the real offering of the first fruits of the Orthodox Church. From the very beginning, what has the church done but gather together and give thanks to the Lord? Well, we give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done on our behalf, the cross, the tomb, his death and resurrection, his second coming, the sending of the Holy Spirit, all of these things. Uh, and we do that on the first day of the week. It's the first thing that we do. It's the offering of ourselves to the Lord. Um, having received the gift of salvation, we offer it back to him. But we also offer, in very practical terms, the material being of, of our lives. So, for example, in the very beginning of the church, it was very clear that the people gathered the harvest, they gathered the things of the week, their fish or what loaves, and they brought it to the church, they brought it to the bishop, they gave thanks to God. And then that would be distributed in a manner that was also used to glorify God and to help the poor. And, and so we see that that offering was part of the, the very function of how Christianity worked in its earliest days. And it works that way today. I think there's something systemic to our thinking that, that somehow we are to bring something to God. I like to liken the idea of a child. You know, every priest knows this experience. The kids go to church school, and there might be the Sunday of the cross. And they'll draw a picture of the cross, and they'll color it in. And the little child will run up. And what does he want to do? He doesn't want to hold on to the, the picture. He wants to share it with somebody. Mm -hmm. He wants to offer it to somebody. It becomes part of who he is that is now being expressed in Thanksgiving to be received by a father figure or by parent or, or someone else. And so it's that idea of offering, of sharing, that I think is very basic to our, our human nature and something I think the Lord just simply builds on in this idea of the offering of first fruits. And so in the Bible, there are many, uh, in the Old Testament, many prescribed offerings where the Lord commanded and guided the people, say, yes, do this. This is part of who you are as a people to offer gifts and spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. 
but to do it in a right way. And likewise, of course, then the church adopted these practices, tithing in the early church, and then also the, the blessing of the first fruits once a year, as very marked moments when we can identify this movement within our spiritual lives and within our actual practical practice so that we can put into action uh, as stewards what we're actually able to do. You suggested that we take a look at the story of the 10 lepers as a way to help frame the discussion around generosity and stewardship. So I'd like to read from the book of Luke chapter 17 right now, the story of the 10 lepers. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a beautiful story, and it's remarkable that the Samaritan, the one of the ten, was the one who who turned back and gave thanks. What do you have to say about this passage, Father Robert? Well, it, it's foundational for me, and it, the movements of our heart are what really stewardship is about. The heart of this leper was changed. Not only was he healed physically, but his heart was changed. In terms of the stewardship cycle, he manifested that change in his offering of thanksgiving to Jesus, where he literally went out of his way and found Jesus so that he could make that offering. I think the point of the story is much to the fact that Jesus sent his blessing upon the nine as well, but they didn't come to that realization and then act on it. And so I think stewardship happens when we come to the realization of that God is blessing us and receive those blessings, and then we act on it. We do something. We give thanks to him first and foremost. We go back to him, but then we ask him to lead us and take our lives and, and, and lead us where he would, would have us go. And that's when we become then truly the servants and also the stewards of the Lord. It strikes me, usually when I hear the passage, it's very clear focuses on leprosy, which is a terrible disease. And that's what the leper received, was healing of his leprosy. But it struck me that he received like a bundle of gifts. Mm. And I think it's helpful, and we can understand how stewardship works and this inner process works, if we look at the, the bigger picture. The first thing that he receives is, from Jesus, he receives an identity. Jesus acknowledges him as a person. And of course, this was always the problem. And with the lepers, it's that they were shuttered away. Nobody saw them. They were not to speak. They were not to be part of a community. But Jesus asserts and affirms his personhood, his dignity. And that's the beginning of the relationship. And for people who struggle with self-identity issues, it's huge for us to realize that we're, we are loved by God, that God recognizes who we are. And the, the leper also received, in, in that first encounter, he received hope. You know, he had no hope before Jesus came and now he has hope that somehow his life is going to be better. It's interesting, what does the Lord Jesus give him first? He 
gives a directive. He tells him he must do something. In some ways, I, I see this as very much just so reflective of the Old Testament, where the people were given these commandments, given these directives. The leper, who wasn't even a Hebrew, nevertheless got the commandment and he obeyed. And that's, they all obeyed and they all went to see the priest. That's what the Lord said, go see the priest. But you see, it's interesting that he obeyed it. Like, if he doesn't obey it, I don't know that he's healed. But he obeys it. And in that obedience now, he's hearing the words of Jesus. He's responding to the words of Jesus. That's sort of the whole template or the whole inner working of how he gets to the, the third movement. It's by this inner process that I think is, is so important. Jesus doesn't say, well, be healed, and then go see the priests. It's like that process has to happen internally. And so he discovers his healing when he is obedient, when he is serving the Lord's words. Those of us who have been involved in, in church service know, so oftentimes it's on the road. When we're beginning to try to be obedient to the Lord and servants, that's where the Lord begins to do his work. The disciples on the road to Emmaus is reflective of that as well. One of the things that the leper receives also is the truth. He receives this glimpse of who Jesus really is. He receives this idea that Jesus is worth seeking out, <laughs> that, that there's something magnificent and marvelous about him and that he must go and find what that is. And of course, all of that leads him back and leads him to humility, which is the right place of the starting place of the relationship he would have with the Lord. Physical being is healed, but as is often the case in the healings in the scriptures, there's also this spiritual and emotional healing that takes place as well. And so then he is now at a place where he offers thanksgiving and he is in a place where he can truly serve Christ however Christ would have him serve. And that's that third movement, that offering of oneself to the Lord in willingness to be his steward of the great gift that he has given to us. I think some of those dynamics of receiving the gift, but then also seeing the breadth and the depth of it all, and then responding to it by giving thanks to God in a very practical, mm -hmm. tangible way. When people discuss stewardship, we often hear about offering my time, my talent, my treasure back to God. But with this model, and of course, through scripture and the, the truth of the church, we understand that it's not our time, it's not our talent, and it's not our treasure. The Lord is the one who provides. What I like about what you've offered to this program is you've added a couple more T's. You know, besides time, talent, and treasure, you've challenged us to think about consecrating ourselves to truth and to trust. Um, I like this. It's easy to remember those five T's. Could you say a little bit more about each one and how this relates to offering the first fruits? Well, I can tell you that as I've gotten older, I've realized that time is so exceedingly precious. You know, I think it's kind of a given, especially in our age. Uh, we talk about it a lot, but I don't know that we always realize how precious it really is. And that's why we sometimes waste it. But And we don't steward it well. But then also our talents, too. And as a priest, I've just been blessed to encounter so many talented, wonderful gifts of people and it's not always the obvious talents or the things that would catch people's attentions but just the ability to to show care to love to do wonderful things and and, and of course the treasures the, the abundance of the things of this earth that the lord gives to us especially for us as americans I and mean, we've just been so blessed with uh, the material treasures of the earth and and all of these we 
can offer back to the Lord. But the truth and the trust are interesting because this truth, I alluded to it a little bit, talking about movement two and three, that as we go through life and as we engage with what God gives to us, he reveals his truth to us. God is the Lord and has revealed himself to us, as we say at Matin. This revelation, this truth, isn't just an external reality. It's something that, that is at the deepest core of who we are. Then we become the people of truth, which is why we're so different, or we're, we need to be so different from the devil, who is the father of lies. And I think in an age where truth seems to be negotiable and seems to be, unfortunately, not cherished in quite that way, I think that we as Christians, especially the truth of the revelation of who we are as children of God and made in his image, becomes a starting point. But the whole of Christian revelation um, is that truth, as well as other truth, scientific truth, etc. All truth is truth, and it is uh, of God, reflective of God. The last one is trust, and if we've had an erosion of truth in our age, I think trust has really been one of the great uh, victims. We simply don't listen to each other anymore. We don't trust each other. And I'm not sure that that doesn't even carry over sometimes into our spiritual life. Do we really trust God? I think that's one of the reasons why God allows us to be tested is so that we can ask ourselves, go back to square one and say, do I trust God? Do I believe that the words that Jesus spoke to me, that something's going to happen? And so it's like the leper. I mean, am I going to receive his command, receive his word, act on it, and allow him to show me his way, his lordship? The leper, again, is a great example of trusting the Lord and being obedient, and then finding the realization of that. I really think that in our society, and, and in the churches too, that we really have to build trust. And this builds the bonds of fellowship, not just simply in a superficial or social way, but the bonds of fellowship of deep relationships of love and trust can transform and transfigure what we're doing as churches. So we offer back to God what he's already provided, time, talent, treasure, truth, and and even trust. The church might be the recipient of those gifts, but the offering is not to the church, but to God. And it is the church that stewards that gift. I find that that really turned a light bulb on for some people who heard this message early on when you delivered it in some earlier workshops. Could you say a little bit more about the offering being made to God and not necessarily to the church? Yeah, our focus when we come before the Lord is to offer worship to Him, okay? And just in the same way that we don't offer worship to the church, our heart, the best of who we are, is offered solely to the Lord. And that is an act of faith, it's an act of trust, and it builds our trust when we act upon it. There's an interesting word, and I've just seen it pop up over and over again, not only in the scriptures, but in the texts of the liturgy. And that is this word of entrust. It's this idea that God has entrusted us with great things, and now we offer them back to him. The church then becomes the sewer of that which we offer to God. The Lord wants us as the church then to be good and faithful stewards and good and faithful servants of that which his faithful people entrust to him to the church as well as ways that God will bring other gifts into the church it would be a great exercise for a parish to just sit down and, as a parish board and say folks what has the Lord entrusted to us as a parish who are the people mm-hmm. that God has placed in this 
our circle that he has a purpose for. Okay, how are we called to serve them? But how was he calling them to serve? Uh, how has he empowered them through his Holy Spirit? And so then the church becomes this sort of active participant in how people live faithfully in Christ. We are, as a church and as a body, called upon to be faithful stewards of all that is under us, whether it's a parish board or in the larger context of a parish or its parish meeting, to just realize that God is bringing this multitude of gifts. Our finances, our money, our budget. Are we using this which God has entrusted to us? How are we using this? How is this blessing God? How is this glorifying Him? How is How are we using this to go back to movement four? How are we using it to serve others? Which is His explicit purpose in the stewardship cycle. So we can get trapped in this idea that Yes, the church needs money, therefore I am going to willfully on my own figure out how much the church needs or how much I should give and make this sort of calculation and the church should be able to figure the rest out. Instead, I think the way it works is that God has blessed us abundantly. I give generously to the Lord and the church becomes then the steward of those gifts. Back to movement four and the the story of the loaves and the fishes is so instructive and that is that so often... The disciples don't have enough to do what they think they need to do. You know, the little guy brought the loaves and the fishes, and it was just a little bit, but he offered them, put them in the hands of the apostles who put them in the hands of Jesus, and it was enough. That's how it works. In the right hands and offered up to God, which is again why that, you know, what does Jesus do? He doesn't just break the loaves and distribute. He first offers them to the Father so that there is this spiritual reality that's at the heart of the miracle and then it can, the rest can happen and so i think this again is instructive for us both individually and as parishes and as parish boards to see how you know this consecration of what god has given to us to him will be blessed and then he will use those gifts and use us for his purposes as his uh, faithful stewards And it's just so important to spend a little time realizing all that God has provided. You've developed this really thoughtful and useful, beautiful self-examination and reflection guide for Orthodox Christian stewardship. In fact, I think its holistic approach is appropriate to use during Lent and preparing for confession. I'd like our listeners to know that they can find this self-examination and reflection guide by going to our website, orthodoxserventleaders.com. Father Robert, could you say a little bit more about this self-reflection guide and how it might be used in private reflection and as a community study or as a parish tool as people enhance their own generosity and stewardship programs? Sure. As I began to work with these ideas, I kept asking myself, what are the practical ways that this stuff needs to manifest itself in my life you know, and in the lives of the people I'm serving? You know, when we do the self-reflection, we say, how is God asking me to use my time for God's purposes? Or what are the gifts that God has entrusted to me? And how can I offer them to the Lord first and then also in service to him in other ways? Just simple questions like, what am I called to do in terms of service? Or, you know, how has God blessed me? How has he poured forth in abundance when I've been faithful in small ways? And also, then we ask ourselves, well, what are the stumbling blocks? <laughs> you know, how is it that I haven't been generous? How, why haven't I gotten to this generosity <laughs> point in my walk with the Lord? Instead, I keep, you know, stumbling and, you know, fall back into greed or 
or selfishness or pettiness. It just serves as a way of raising questions on each in each of our lives we can ask and go down that path and, and see how um, the various steps of the stewardship cycle can inform us as to what's working and maybe what isn't. Really as a way of accountability so that in part I developed this for my own use and for others uh, to, as a help in confession, as an examination preparation for confession, and to say, yes, Lord, I haven't really given the time for this work, or I haven't developed this gift, or I've forgotten to pray and consecrate my first moments of the day to you. Just things like that that, that come across as we go through our own personal uh, reflection. And we confess that, not to beat ourselves up, but to say, the Lord forgives us. Let's move on. Let's be good and faithful servants. Wonderful. Thank you so much for providing that for us, Father Robert. Thank you also for your generous contribution to the Dulos program, for the thoughtful work you've done around this important topic. You know, at the end of the day, the words from the Gospel of Luke ring true. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I know I stand condemned by that wisdom, yet I see that wisdom itself as the treasure which gives me hope in God's rich mercy. Thank you, Holly, for the opportunity to once again hear your thoughts on this and to be inspired to think more deeply for myself and then also to put into practice that call and to be the good and faithful servant and, and to realize the treasures that the Lord has bestowed upon me and that opportunity that I have to share them with others. So thanks be to God for all of Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.